If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the third epistle of John. John's third epistle only has one chapter, so we don't, I don't have to tell you which chapter. I tell you, I was, I was a, I don't know what to say, I got a thrill in my soul tonight when I saw uh, Morgan on the piano bench and uh, even got to hear her play a little bit. Uh, what a foretaste of something to come in our church. And uh, that, was, that was exciting. And then to see the uh, young men uh, standing up here uh, singing. One day they'll be our song leaders. And uh, that was encouraging to me. And uh, of course, uh, we had uh, the youth takeover uh, two Sunday nights ago. And, and uh, if you didn't like that, I, I, I just recommend you go find a place to pray somewhere. That was real encouraging and helpful. And uh, just really, really appreciated uh, that service. And then, of course, we had the young ladies sing for us last when, uh, Sunday night. And uh, did a great job in uh, trusting that the Lord's going to use them. They've, God's given them the talent. If uh, they'll give the Lord themselves, God's going to use those uh, precious young ladies uh, from the school. And uh, I just, it just thrills my heart to see God continuing the church really does well you all didn't testify so i had to <laughs> i have to be honest with you uh i was hoping i wouldn't have to preach tonight the lord has laid a message on my heart of course as we as we work through this and it's one of the reasons why i believe god has had me to preach through books is Oftentimes I come to text, I don't want to preach. And this is one I don't want to preach. In fact, I, I contemplated momentarily not to have it recorded. Um, and yet, uh, I felt like the Lord would, would have, it, have it be recorded for us. But I'm, I, I must confess tonight that I feel very uneasy about the message, especially the text. Um, I know that I know that really, honestly, I believe that an evangelist should come and they should be preaching this text. There's been several of those times that have happened as we've preached through the books. But you know what I've learned, and and, and I haven't been pastoring only oh I don't know, oh I've been preaching longer than I thought I was. Never mind. But anyhow. One of the things that I've discovered is that evangelists are not touching these passages either. And so they're ignored by the church and, uh, completely because uh, they're not being obeyed by those in the pews because evangelists aren't preaching them and the pastors aren't preaching them. And so it, fall, it befalls us as lay people either to know the word well enough to walk in it or to have, have a preacher that's just dumb enough to preach it anyways. And well, for, lucky you, you've got a dumb preacher willing to preach it anyways. I'm going to allow you to remain seated tonight. I'm going to read through the whole entirety of, the, of this book. And uh, I wouldn't want anyone to pass out from you know me reading an entire book. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius my love and truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, 
even as thy soul prospereth. Now, this is not what I'm preaching, but I just want to say, just because your pastor prays and wants you to have good health doesn't mean that's what God has got intended for you. People have used this verse to preach health and wealth gospel. Just because John wants Gaius to be healthy doesn't mean that that was God's plan for Gaius. That's just a nice way to say it in a letter. So just want to make that clear, a little proper Bible interpretation here. I pray for your health and I pray for your well-being and safety, uh, but that doesn't always mean that's what God is, uh, has planned for you. If, that, if, uh, if my prayers kept you from getting sick or having reverses, uh, you all would be in good shape. But God knows best. God knows best. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort. Thou shalt do well, because that, for his name's sake, they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow, uh, fellow, <laughs> yes, fellow helpers in the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephus, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbid them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath a good report of all men, and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Father, give us wisdom, give us direction, and keep us in your word and in the truth. Anoint these lips of clay one more time that you might be glorified and honored in it. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. What is the greatest threat to the local church? Have you ever thought about that? What is the greatest threat to our local church? Is it taxes? There's many people that are very terrified that if the wrong political party gets into power, that the churches will be taxed. 
I don't think that's the greatest threat to our church. Is it perhaps persecution? It, perhaps if the wrong uh, sort of people get into power and suddenly there's no freedom uh, of religion, no freedom to practice our faith, is that a great threat to our church? It certainly is a great threat. But it's, it won't destroy a church. In fact, we know from history that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church not the greatest threat to face the church well if it's not governments and it's not laws and it's not taxes is it satan is satan the greatest enemy to our church i i don't think so i in fact i i think that he would like to paint himself as strong and mighty and powerful and and yet so oftentimes Satan only has the power that people give him. That's why we're told not to give place to the devil. So that he does not have an opportunity to work through us. It seems to me, as, as I have studied church history, as I have studied the great revivals and the great falling aways of history. The greatest threat to the local church is the church boss. Is the church boss. It can be an individual who is spiritual, who loves the Lord and over time has come to the place where they believe that they are appointed by God to be in control of the church. Or it can be a carnal individual who just laps up power unto themselves and they destroy the church with their carnality. I have found that both have produced great tragedies within the halls of their local church. I wish I could tell you that, that the church boss is, is, uh, is, is not a great threat. I wish I could tell you that, that a church boss is, is not a slayer of churches, but Too often times, the church literally closes its doors after a reign of one church boss. Numbers dwindle. They, they chew up and spit out pastors like bubble gum. And no one can figure out that Church leadership, uh, you know, the denominational leadership, they can't understand why a pastor doesn't stay there very long. They don't, people, don't, people are saying, we don't understand why the pastors are come and go so frequently. We, we don't understand why nobody, no, there's no pastors that want to go. And in fact, you'll, you'll hear the, the church bosses and the, the, the churches they'll say, we can't get a pastor. We've been so many years without a pastor. We can't get a pastor. We don't understand it. 
we had the privileges, the early part of our ministry, of trying to salvage dead churches. They weren't quite dead. They were, they were on life support. And uh, the first three churches of our ministry were churches like that. I have learned through that experience that there are churches that deserve to have their doors closed. They deserve it. There is no glory there. God is not in control there. And the church doesn't can't get out of their own way, and they definitely don't get out of God's way. And they lament, and they are frustrated, and they just can't understand why they can't grow. Church bosses are the greatest threat to the local church. They really are. John's writing this letter to Gaius. Gaius uh, has, uh, apparently attends a church that's got a church boss. Not exciting. You know, it's never a good thing when, when uh, you do a trial sermon at a, at a church and the district superintendent or the general superintendent says, you know, so-and-so's the church boss. That's a bad thing to be told before you've even accepted the church or after you've just accepted the church. It's bad news. It's bad business. And let me tell you why. Let me, let me just let, let me tell you why church bosses kill churches. Because they don't allow God to rule the church. They do. And let me just back up for just one moment. I want, I, I want to be clear about something. Pastors can be church bosses. So I, I want you to understand that as I'm... Uh, preaching about church bosses, I'm not pointing the finger at laity. And I'm not even, thank the Lord, I'm not even pointing my finger at anybody here. That, that's a little encouraging. You say, well, why are you preaching it? Well, because well, it's what the Lord wants, but I think also it serves as a good warning for us to not allow us to fall into this trap. What are, what are, how do we know? How do we know? How do we, how do we identify a church boss? Well, John makes it clear. I want, I want to, I brought my Bible down. You know, I, sometimes I like to do this, especially when we're getting it close, getting into these unpopular things. Verse 9, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephus, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. The first thing we know is they love to be in charge. They love to be in charge. 
we had a, we were at a church, uh, we had a beautiful, uh, I may have told you this uh, story already, but we had, we had a, uh, uh, worship time we came and we had this worship time at, at Sunday school it was really nice we were a tiny church we all no matter how old you were had to sit through the same Sunday school class so we had and let when we had some children we did break the children away but we didn't have any children when we first went to this on life support church and uh, so we but whenever we were able to get some uh, my wife was so gracious to teach them but but then what would happen is as soon as Sunday school was over, they wanted church to start right away with no break. And I remember uh, we were in uh, revival, our very first revival there, our very first ever having an evangelist. I feel bad for that fellow. He had, he had a pastor and wife who didn't know what they were doing. My wife had a lot better idea because she, she was in the parsonage growing up, but I had no clue. Fortunately... It was somebody that I knew, and so uh, we got through it and survived. But I remember on this particular revival, he had preached Sunday morning, and he had done a great job, but I had a serious, serious problem. As uh, we were standing there for the, as he was giving the altar call, I was in great discomfort. I needed to use the restroom. And the problem is I had been told that good Christian people didn't go to the bathroom during service. Now, I'm not preaching that tonight. I'm just telling you that's what I was always taught. And it is good not to be in and out and disrupting the service, and you can disrupt the Holy Spirit. It's a good principle. But if you got to go, you got to go. I understand. But I, had, I was standing there, and I... I, I was very uncomfortable, and I, and I remember praying, Lord, if anyone goes, I'm going to have to go back and use the restroom, and this is going to be terrible. The pastor's not even going to be praying with them. This is just awful. Nobody went to the altar. We got the people out of there. And I said, you know what, this, uh, and we had, were having the conversation around the table, and the, pa uh, and the evangelist said to me, he said, you know, if anybody had gone to the altar, he said, I wouldn't have been able to pray with them. I would have had to stop by the restroom. Now, I don't know if preachers are supposed to talk about going to the bathroom and, as the, from the pulpit, but I'm not behind the pulpit, so we're just going to talk about things. He, and I thought, you know, this would have been a terrible thing. Both the evangelist and the pastor, one of them having to stand in line because it was only a single-use bathroom, and not praying with this poor seeker because the body has limits. And God has placed those limits. And so the next board meeting came around, and I said, you know, we've got a little bit of a problem. I said, and I told them about my situation and the evangelist situation, and I said, we need to have just five minutes in between Sunday school and church so that we can use the restroom. Common sense, right? I mean, we had a dear brother who was taking a water pill, who sat right about here, and he was up two, three times in every service. We had another brother over here who was just carnal, and he'd get up every time he didn't like what was going on and use the bathroom. We had others that were getting up and going. It, it was a circus. We only had eight people in the church. 
five minutes. And the church boss had a fit. And you know those that, those that love the preeminence, they know how, how it works. They know how it works. Now, wait a minute. I, I, let me back up just a moment. All the other board members immediately voiced approval for it, which never happens. They always would look to him, and he would be the one that always made every decision. But this time, they were all for it. I had laid out my case well. But this man had a fit. He goes, that's what the carnal worldly churches do. Yes, and they also play the piano, and they also read the Bible, and they also have pulpits, and there's a, they have pews, a lot of them do. I mean, just because a worldly church does it doesn't mean that we don't have to do it. I want you to know this man never forgave me as long as I served as pastor because I, it, I got it passed through the board to have five minutes in between Sunday school and church. It was a big deal. I'd be sick and miss the service. And he'd, he'd say, well, the pastor ain't here, so we're not having the bathroom break. Let's go right into the service. And I, of course, my wife would come home and she'd go, you know what brother so-and-so did? I'm like, oh, boy. And as long as I served as that man's pastor, he undermined everything we tried to do everything because i was taking the church a worldly way it wasn't that i was taking a church the worldly way that's what he was saying that was his testimony this was his spiritual stand but it wasn't that he liked to have the preeminence he liked to have the presidency he liked being in charge Folks, I tell you, there's, if someone likes being in charge, there's something wrong with them. Someone said, you know, you know, it must be nice to be pastor. You don't have any bosses. What are you all? <laughs> I mean, you're, being in charge means that you've got the responsibility. It means that, that when somebody doesn't like something, guess who they talk to? I mean, it's a miserable thing. Let's take it out of the church contact. Let's take it over to IBS. When there's a problem, if, there's, if, you don't, if you're mad at a teacher or you don't like what's going on in a policy, who do you talk to? You're going to call up Matt. You're going to show up at his office. And he's got to hear your, your rip and snorting, doesn't he? And hopefully you're saved and sanctified and you act saved and sanctified. But I can tell you there's a good many people who've walked into that, his office who when the door's closed has lost their holiness and they put it back on as they walk back out of it. And folks, that's just sick. If you like to be, in, if somebody likes to be in charge, if they really relish authority, there's something wrong with them. Especially in the church, because we know the scripture says that we will hold a greater accountability. The Lord called me to preach, I didn't want it. 
And I love that I don't have to be chairman of the board, that, that everything at the church that goes wrong is all Brother Gary's fault. <laughs> None of you think that. None of you think that. It's my fault. And I understand that. There's something wrong if you like to have the authority, if you like to have the power, you like to have the preeminence. You know, folks, I, I just want to be clear about something. Church boards are not biblical. There is nowhere in the Bible where church boards exist. Does that mean I want to get rid of them? No. Well, here's what I'm saying is when it comes to annual meeting time, you better be in prayer about who you're electing to that position. There's some denominations that I think wisely after they a person has served for so long has to take a year off. I wish I wish that not that I don't think greatly of every one of my board members. I think I, I love every single one of my board members. This is not a reflection on them. But there's some wisdom in that. There's some wisdom in that. Because it keeps the person who would be a church boss, keeps them out of the control all the time. I know of another pastor. He had a, he accepted his first church. He's a young guy, take over a dying church. That's what they always give the young preachers is these dead, dying churches. I don't know why. They're miserable. They're dead and dying for a reason. And I don't know why we send our young guys there to be discouraged and defeated. But we do it. And a lot of guys leave the ministry after their first church. I have no idea what we're thinking. But this young guy, he, first church, he, walk, he goes into the church, and the previous pastor had been pastor there for, I, I believe, was it 40 years? Something like that. He'd been there forever. That's a wonderful testimony, isn't it? I mean, it'd be wonderful, Lord, let me stay here 40 years. Didn't get any amens on that. <laughs> Honey, we better start packing. We didn't get one amen on that. <laughs> and the pa so this new pastor and his young pastor's wife, they go in, and you know, I mean, they're dead church, they're dying, they're on life support. So what's the pastor do? He gets right to work. His wife, he, she begins to decorate the church. Nobody had decorated the church in the last 30 years. I mean, it looked pretty out of date. So she began to put some flowers up and do some things to try to, to make the church look attractive. And the people were, wow, this is nice. And the pastor started working and getting people to come to church, getting some kids to come. And you know what the people said? We don't like it. What does John say about, about church bosses? What's it, what's it? And he receiveth us not. And wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prattling against us with malicious words. What do they do? They start, what they, they start gossiping. They start ripping up the harmony in the church. They don't like it. And not content. Oh, you're not content. You might be a church boss. Neither doth he receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of church. We don't like it. We don't want to grow. Carnal church bosses don't want to grow. They only want people who are going to put money in the offering plate. And, if, and this was their complaint. The people you have coming aren't putting money in the offering. 
If that's your opinion, let me just tell you, you don't love people, you don't love God, you love yourself, and you love your imaginary church because it's not a real church. Let me say it this way, it's just social club. And if that's all you're interested in is finding people who are going to put money into the church so that you can keep coming here and you can keep enjoying uh, having your ears tickled and for you to have the temperature what, the way you want it on the heat and the, have the electric bill paid and, and so on and so forth, if that's what you're interested in, you don't love God and you don't love, your, love anything but you love yourself and your little social club. Maybe we better start packing. <laughs> this is what John tells about this Diophetus. Man, he's got a terrible name, Diotrephus. It's what the church boss is like. And so you know what these people did at this poor young pastor who doesn't know any better? He's just a, he's just a, uh, a young guy at first church. Their old pastor had retired, and so they called him up and started talking bad about their current pastor. What did John say? Prattling about us? Ooh. We don't like it. And they're going to use some malicious words. He's. This is my favorite. I love these. We've had some of these too. They're using, up the, uh, they're using up our savings trying to get people to come to church and our savings is going down. That's exciting. One thing, thing about our church is we don't have savings. I have never understood that about this church. It's the only th church I've ever pastored that didn't care about their savings. Every church I ever pastored, all they ever wanted to talk about was their savings. I don't know if it's the Kansas thing or just what. You just live by faith and just it'll be there when you need it. All right, well. And it has been for the, all the time we've been here. We're never worried about it. And when we had needs tonight, you guys took care of that fa so fast. I was, that was, and you know, I just would like to say I expected that. I just really did. I expected that. He's a, this guy's wasting, a, he's using up our resources. Using up our savings at this rate, we're only got five years left of resources. A dying church only cares about their themselves. And a church boss only cares about themselves. And they wanted to be sure that they had a church for them to have their little social club, and so they had to start running their mouth off to the last pastor. And that last pastor, old and retired as he is, didn't have enough sense to put, tell them to straighten up and follow their leadership that God had given them. Instead, he started joining in on it. Started criticizing the new pastor, running him down in the ground. Saying, you're right, this guy's terrible, this guy's no good. This guy comes out of Bible college, thinks he's got all the answers, and he doesn't know a, a, lick, of th a lick, he doesn't have any sense, green behind the ears. They called in the conference president. And the conference president left that meeting and just shook his head. I think they're 
I don't know what they are. They're just, hand, just a handful left in that little church. They just about run everybody off. That wasn't a part of their little clique. And let me tell you something. When you get a church boss, it becomes a clique about everyone who answers to that boss. And if you don't answer to that boss, you'll either leave or be run off. That's what John says right here. They run them off. Whoo. Man, John's, John's, John's almost getting as bad as James, isn't he? I thought James was the one about all love and all this, but, but man, I mean, he, I mean the, he's really upset at this guy. Something else about a church boss is they don't answer to anybody, and this is where, where a pastor can really get into trouble. They don't want to answer to anybody. I don't answer to the church board. I answer to God. I don't answer to Brother Shaper. I don't, I don't, I, not to the, I don't answer to the denomination. I answer to God. I'll tell you what, there's a reason why there's a bunch of independent churches around in the holiness movement, and they all deserve to be closed, almost all of them. Because they won't answer to anybody and they don't receive a leadership and authority. They don't recognize that John as an apostle had authority over him. We went to a little church. Talk about dead. They were dead. They had three people, and on a good Sunday, they had six, not counting Trish and I. We're, we were eight again. Man, we had eight twice. What are we doing of eight? Anyhow, we went to this little church. We were going to help them out. They're in a little independent work that decided that they were wanted to join the denomination. And so well, we went, uh, we, they said, if you give us a pastor, we'll join the group. And so we, we got the call. Would you go in to this little flock and pastor them? Well, I don't know enough to learn my lesson the first time. I said, sure. I'm happy to go. So we went down to this little church. <laughs> and I, they were going to come under authority of the new denomination. So everything... They were a little bit snarky when we first came. Uh, I, uh, what, uh, man, I, 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 I should have known from day one that this was probably not going to work. But we, you know, what God had helped us with the, our last church, and uh, we were, had grown, and so we were excited. And uh, so we were, we were going to trust God to help us in this little church, and, and uh, God was helping us to grow. We were uh, seeing some, uh, especially in our Sunday night services, that a lot of the other Churches didn't have Sunday night, and God was really helping our Sunday night church to grow, and we were service, and we were just doing, God was helping us, and so uh, the conference president came, and, and he made a grievous error, and this is no, I, I'm not trying to talk bad about him, I, I believe, I have confidence in him, I, I, I love him, he's a great man, but he made a grievous error. And we all make those, no matter how saved and sanctified, no matter how long we've lived, no matter how wise we are, we can make errors. And he made a grievous error. And it wasn't until then that he handed out the discipline. I think you call it something else in your, in your circles, but this is the book. The rules and regulations. If you're going to be a member of our, of our church, you've got you to gotta follow these rules. He should have done this long before I ever came as pastor. I didn't know that they didn't know what they were getting into by joining 
the denomination. I'm a little wiser after that situation. I will never do that again. I will know that, I, that they know what they're talking about before I ever accepted a situation like that again. This little independent church had been, indep- they had been without a pastor for seven years when we came, and there was good reason for that. We didn't know that. I thought they were just a little independent work, and, and they just because they were independent, they couldn't get a church. I found out quickly that they didn't deserve a pastor. You say, Pastor, I don't like you saying the word deserve. I'll tell you, if you're not willing to accept God's authority over you, you do not deserve to have someone preach God's word to you. It's a waste of his time, and it's a waste of your time. If you want to have a social club, just have, have your little social club. Don't get a pastor. It's a waste of everybody's time. It's not what God intended. You don't even have a church. You call it church. It's a social club. Don't get a pastor. They found out that none of them in the church, they were all charter members, of course. They found out none of them, if they joined us, could be members of the denomination. They were all in violation. And you know, they decided that, they got together and they decided, you know what, we don't want to do this. We don't want to join. But you know, we don't want to, we don't want to admit it's because we're not willing to come under authority. And this is what they decided. It was going to be Trish and my fault. So they kept dragging their heels, and the, uh, the, the leader came in, and he stepped, uh, he stepped out. He said, that now we really need to know whether you're going, whether you're going to join the denomination or not, you've been dragging your heels all these months. We gave you the pastor. We did our part. Now are you going to do your part? Are you going to hold the vote and become members? And in that meeting, I'm trying to remember, Dennis was two. Brandon was maybe a month old. They went through, they tore me to pieces. They, then they tore my dear wife to pieces. Then they tore Dennis to pieces. And then they tore Brandon to pieces at one month old. And then they came back to me. And, I've, and then I can't remember how many times I went through the circle of that. And I t- I've said many times, I really, truly regret that I did not send Trisha out with the boys out of that mess. That, that would have been wise for me to do. I tried to stay silent as, as Jesus was before his accusers, and I just let them go and prattle their nonsense. Let me give you just an example of one. One dear lady, she, got, she, was, she says... That pastor of ours, when my husband was dying in the hospital, he didn't ever come and visit him. Now, at this point, I had just had about enough of it. And I finally spoke up. And I called the leader by name, and I said, you know, I said, I, I didn't make it to her husband's uh, hospi- uh, hospitalization. I, that's true. Uh, he died before I came as pastor. They had so set their hearts in evilness and wickedness. And they could not take responsibility and say, you know, we got this discipline and we want to break the rules. We don't, we, don't, we don't like this. And we can't be adult enough to say we, we can't come under your authority. Instead, they had to make it about us. If you make anything about a one-month-old, there's something wrong with you. Or even a two-year-old. 
Listen, I'm not trying to run down previous churches. I'm not trying to even run down church bosses. I'm trying to help you to understand that this stuff is real. And John lays out some really good stuff here to help us to be able to, de- to, uh, to examine ourselves. Man, that, what, you don't have anywhere better to be tonight, do you? To, to examine ourselves. Am I running the pastor down? Am I running the board down behind their backs and the text messages and on Facebook? And Am I prattling against people with malicious words? Am I gossiping? Am I spreading hearsay that I don't know whether it's true or not? I'll tell you what, folks. There's been a lot of people that have made their way to hell repeating things that came from reliable sources. Oh, I'm not supposed to preach that gossip is a sin and takes you to hell? The Bible does say that, that gossipers and those that break unity of the church, is that an abomination? You mean like homosexuality that we preach so strongly against and we say amen and get all excited about and say, oh, we, we, that's an abomination, but, but those that break unity in the church, let's make them the bosses and in charge? Whoo! Might be some more hypocrites than we expected. Not here, not here, not here. Other places, other places. Folks, I'm just trying to preach the word tonight. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to help us to be able to evaluate where we are. Do you know there can be things that are true and still not worth saying? You know, I think about some of these young preachers... And I can, I can name names. I could just go down through names of young guys that I went to school with at Penview who didn't make it past their first church and who are sinners and on their way to a devil's hell because their first church destroyed them. Now, they're responsible for the choices they made. They are responsible, ultimately, for their choices. But I wonder, I wonder... How many who think they're guiltless won't be on that day? And I hate to say this as your pastor. I wish I was saying this as an evangelist and I, I could say this and just skip town. But you may be responsible for the spiritual condition of your pastor, his wife, and his children. You may hold responsibility for whether they make it or not. In fact, let me take that word may out and let me just say that you do bear responsibility for the spiritual well-being of your pastor, his wife, and his children. And I will say that when I came here as, for my trial sermon, the, one of the most important things that I was asking the Lord and I was looking for is, is this a place where my children are going to be able to make a, to to get to heaven easily, or are they, am I going to have to pray and do spiritual warfare within my, this church in order to see them make it? Because 
Because even though there is enough spiritual warfare without others trying to tear them down. And as far as I know, I've never had to deal with anything like that here. And I thank God for that and I thank you for that. We hold some responsibility. We hold some responsibility for the spiritual condition of our leadership. uh, What else does John say? They're not content. They're not content. You're not happy? You know, I just despise that thing, that saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I despise that. If that's true in your home, mama, get to the altar. Because that's not the heart of a sanctified woman. If nobody can be happy when you're not happy, you need to get to the altar and get yourself saved and sanctified and get happy. Man, what is wrong with me tonight? I'm just telling you that John says that the church boss is not content. And when he's not happy or she's not happy, nobody in the church can be happy. We have a bathroom break. Seriously. They played that song too fast. Preacher preaches from the Old Testament too much. Preacher preaches too long. Ha, ha, ha. (laughs) Oh, that got to help us to be content. Look, your pastor's not perfect. I'm not up here trying to paint myself as a perfect man. I'm not perfect. And if you want to complain about me, I'm sure that I've offered you enough things that would give you enough fodder to keep you busy for a while. But I tell you, contentment doesn't come because your situation's perfect. Because even the richest of the rich aren't necessarily content. And there have been some dear saints, some great pastors that I've known that they've had people in their church not content. And I'm thinking to myself, what more could they ask for in a pastor? It's perfection that won't even make you content if you're not going to be content. This guy's not even content with the Apostle John. I mean, come on! I know I don't measure up to John, but come on. If you can't, if John can't make you happy, there is not very many that will make you happy. I mean, he's John the Beloved. I mean, the guy's as gentle as can be. I mean, he's so full of God, he gets the book of Revelations entrusted to him. He gets to write the gospel, he gets to write three epistles, and he gets to write the only book of prophecy. I mean, the guy is is the second biggest writer of the New Testament. 
I mean, if there's anybody that you ought to be able to be content with, it'd be John. But church bosses aren't content because the only way they're content is if their way is being followed. And here's what's the worst part. Oftentimes, they think that they're in God's corner, and God's in their corner. Church bosses often become church bosses because there's a crisis in the church, and that person rose to the occasion. And in that time, he won or she won the loyalty of the congregation. There was a crisis of some sort, financial crisis perhaps. We had one of those, the church boss, who said anytime he didn't get his way, he said, I'll, t- I'll leave the church and take my money with me, and you know that you can't survive without my money. We had one of those. He, he got his way, and he still ended up leaving, and the church ended up closing its doors. You can't save a church. That's on life support, but rather have the approval of carnal people than they would of God. Sometimes they've rose up and just took on responsibility. You know, this church was in, was in that place when, when uh, you were without a pastor. You had an opportunity. You were in crisis. But you know what? Instead of one person rise up, several of you rose up. And you shared the burden, you shared the load. And I truly believe that's what kept you all from having a church boss. If it would have fallen on one person, you know what happened? Every time there was a problem, every time that there was a disagreement, every time there was something, we'd all look to whoever it was that rose up for guidance. Not because necessarily that the church boss is wicked. Sometimes they can be saved and sanctified. But what happens is it grinds progress to a halt. Because it isn't God's opinion that matters. It's that one person's opinion that matters. I have no idea how long, when I started. This is probably the longest sermon I ever preached here. Let me just say this. Let me, uh, let's be done with church bosses. I want to talk about a church blesser named Demetrius. And I'm going to let you go. Demetrius has some qualities too. He's got a good report among men. And not just the people in the church, but everybody else thinks he's wonderful too. You know, church bosses usually aren't well liked by, other, by the other holiness churches in the area. Or by the superintendent, especially if they find out and they're dealing with them. These people have a good report. These are the people, these are the salt of the earth. This is these are the people that you can count on. And the, listen, and of the truth itself, they're walking truth. They're, they live by God's word. They care more about truth than they care about their own preferences and their own opinions and, and their own understanding. They care about the truth. And leadership, the leadership, the pastor says, they're a great person, the pastor. I wish I had a church full of them. 
Those are the, the marks of a church blesser, not a church boss. Well, I don't know if I could have preached this sermon if we had a church boss. But I want you to know, I want you to know that the health of a church, its greatest threat is from within. It's from within. Sometimes it's the pastor, usually it isn't. But if you can be a church blesser, if you can have a good report among the leadership and among uh, others, you can walk in truth and you can, have your, you can have your opinion and your idea voted down and still have the grace of God in your heart and just get behind it. Let me tell you one more story and then I'll let you go. My church growing up, I, I didn't know about this. I, I, was, I found out about it later from from the pastor after I had grown up there, the church had, had uh, decided it was time to re-carpet. And so they, they brought in a whole bunch of samples, and I don't know what all. They brought it into the sanctuary, and the board went through, and Brother Rio, he voted for, he was the lone voter for this one carpet. Brother Rio was, was a man that, he was, he was a simple, you would not, I mean, he's just a simple farmer, but he was so smart and he read all the time. I don't know how he had time to read. He, you, he would shock you by how much he knew. He would walk out the church door and he would, he would shake the pastor's hand and say, excellent exegesis, pastor, excellent exegesis. Most of you don't even know what that means. But he did, and he knew how to use it. And he was, I mean, he was smart. He was a great Sunday school teacher. Great man of God. And you know, they, he got voted down. They picked, a total, he was, I think, as I recall the story right, he was the only one to vote for this carpet. So they voted, they got it, and it was time to install it. And of course, the guys of the church were going to install it. And our pastor told, told me, this is years later, he said, do you know Brother Rio was the very first person to show up for work day? In fact, he said, I said to him, he said, I, I, uh, he said you didn't vote for this carpet. I'm, and he says, he said, in board meeting, you wanted my opinion, but now it's time to work. Oh, that we would know the difference between the time to give our opinion and when to get to work. Thank the Lord for people like Brother Rio, who, when they don't get their own way, are going to be the first one to get to work. Let's stand together.